Good morning, my name is Ed, and we're so glad to have you. You know, Tom mentioned something that made me realize I really want to be part of a small group. He mentioned yard work. So those of you who are interested in doing yard work for others, see me afterwards. I would like you to join my small group. Uh, we don't believe that any of you are here by accident, so thanks so much for coming. I heard a uh, podcast this week with a woman who was, she was American, uh, so consider the source, also consider the source, you're hearing this third hand, my apologies to anyone who speaks Japanese, but she lives in Japan, and she was saying that the Japanese have a, a word, a concept, and a word for an emotion that she thought was perfect for the pandemic, it is moi moi, or something like that, and it, what it means is uh, I just feel so much, I don't even know what I feel. And I, I thought that really is a pretty good description of what we've been going through for the past year and a half, almost two years. And I, I realized afresh and anew as I was listening to that podcast, you know, I, I, need, I need to hear, I need to be reminded of what God has for us. I, I, I need to be reminded even in this, even in, in our current circumstances, uh, that he's offering far more than I'm accessing. And, and I, I need that reminder. So if you're watching at home, I want to encourage you, you won't have the scripture on the screen like we do here in the room. If you go to mygateway.life, to the sermon card, you can find the scripture or open a Bible uh, if you have one. But we're going to be looking this morning at an awesome passage of scripture from the Apostle Paul where he kind of leaks out uh, what, a part of what God is offering us. And this is even, this is even an emotional part of how, how God affects us emotionally. So this is uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 25. This is great stuff. Uh, so I'm going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So I say, live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're, they're in conflict with one another so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you aren't under law. It's not a checkbox religion for you. you. It's not something you have to do if you're led by the spirit. Now look, the acts of the sinful nature or the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and yeah, we know that. We hear flesh, or we hear sinful nature. We think that, but look at the, look at the rest of this list. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is Main Street in suburban northern Virginia. Uh, dissension, factions, and, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those kinds of things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. All right, are we missing something? 
That's what we uh, talked about last week when we started uh, this series we're, called, we're calling Being Rich, Living Poor, and we acknowledge that the answer is probably yes for, for all of us. We're not accessing all that God has for us. We're probably missing something. So imagine that you have an uncle, you are his only relative, and you don't know him well, but you know, you knew old uncle so-and-so, and he dies, and upon his death, uh, you receive from him a letter in the mail. This one is to Ed. And you're moved. Uncle so-and-so has written you a letter. It seems kind of thick and long. You'll get to it when you have time. So you put it up on your mantle, and it remains there. And over the course of subsequent weeks and months, you, just, you run into serious financial trouble. You got worries. You got stress. You can't eat. Things just aren't going well. And after a long period of time, you're stressed out. One Saturday, you've got a bunch of time on your hands and you say, oh, I'm going to open up uh, the letter from old uncle so-and-so. And you open up and you're shocked to find out that it is his will. And he was very, very wealthy and he's left it all to you. So that all of your financial troubles and worries were really meaningless. You didn't need to be worrying about any of it. It was all there available to you, and yet you didn't open it up. We're in the same kind of situation spiritually because of what God has offered us and because of our inability, our unwillingness, or the not yetness of us opening up the letter. So what's in the letter and how do we open it up? Today's passage gives us three things that will be critical to helping, helping us open our uncle's letter. And in the middle of the passage, we get a picture of, of what he's offering, of what we really want. This is where we discover what we're missing. And this is where we're going to begin today in the middle of the passage. At the beginning of the passage, we hear about an enemy of what we really want, an enemy that we need to be aware of and work against. This is where we find out part of why we're missing something. And finally, the, the passage concludes by offering, you know, a method for accessing what God has for us. So let's start in the middle, as I said, with verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Now, Paul doesn't define these characteristics as, the, as what we want, the kind of life we want. He defines this as the kind of life that flows naturally out of God's work in our lives. This is, this is what he means by fruit. This is the natural byproduct of life in the Spirit. But for the purposes of our discussion, I think it's helpful for us to recognize this is what we want. This is the, the kind of person we want to be, and we find it really, so to speak, in, on the first page of our uncle's letter. This is the kind of peopleness that God offers to produce in us, and we're not experiencing this to the degree that the letter indicates we can. Let me explain. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. First of all, I want you to notice that each of the characteristics in the list has an inward and an outward dimension. They describe both our subjective inward experience and outwardly how others experience us. 
So, the fruit of the Spirit is love, for example, meaning that others experience us as, as caring for them and sacrificing for them, as thinking more of them than we think of ourselves. But it also means that we experience being loved by God but, and by others. We, we feel loved. So, do, do people experience Dean as someone who is increasingly secure in how loved he is? And do they experience him as being for them, as loving them and, and not all about himself? This is the kind of person God is building in Dean. The fruit of the Spirit includes joy, meaning the Spirit's work in us makes us joyful people. But also, his work in us means we experience joy internally. Literally, we feel joyful. So, are people increasingly experiencing Sudha as a, as a joyful person? Do they increasingly enjoy being around her? And do they see Sudha as someone who is increasingly difficult to discourage because of the foundation of joy in her life? That's the kind of person God offers to build in Sudha. Peace, meaning internal stability, at rest, calm, and externally stable, not frenetic, not hurried. Patience. This isn't the ability to wait. This is how we act and, and how we feel while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Each of these has an inward and an outward dimension. Faithfulness, for example, is, is us being reliable to others and, and it's us being steady within ourselves. It's, it's us doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do and internally, it's us when we don't experience life as this wild roller coaster of ups and downs. Gentleness, self-control. Self-control meaning emotionally disciplined and, and able to lead ourselves well. Able to do what we really want to do. So, do people experience Josh as emotionally stable? Is, is Josh less and less prone to wild emotional outbursts? And, and is he able to control, for instance, his eating and his sleeping? Does he get exercise regularly? Is Josh internally more able to do what he decides he wants to do? If, if he decides to exercise four days a week, is he increasingly the kind of person who will be able to get himself to do that? This is what God is offering us as a byproduct of the Spirit's work in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And as I said, this is, this is the first paragraph of our uncle's letter. And this is certainly the kind of person we want to be. I want some of that, right? I want more and more of that kind of character. And more and more of that is a part of what some of us are missing. We don't necessarily feel more and more of that. We aren't exhibiting more and more of that. Well, if, if this is what God offers us, remember this is a byproduct of the Spirit's work, it's the fruit of the Spirit, then why aren't we making more progress toward exhibiting these characteristics? All of this is supposed to be who we are, so why are we missing some of it? Why don't we see more joy and more peace, more gentleness, and more self-control in our lives? Let me offer a quick sidebar here. Uh, it's important. I, I want us to see something before we answer that question. Did you notice that the fruit here is singular? Now, in English, the word fruit can even be plural, but that's not the case in 
the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and new, that's not the case in the New Testament. This is, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It's all one piece. These are not nine characteristics that we need to be working on our, in our lives. This is one piece of cloth that God is sowing into our characters. So in a very real sense, it's, it's all or nothing. Let me illustrate that. I'll bet that you have known someone in your life who is very self-controlled. They run their lives like a drill sergeant. And, and they often run the lives of those around them the same way. This seems to come naturally to them. The thing is, they're, they're often pretty driven. Uh, so they're usually not very patient people. And often they don't exhibit a whole lot of peace in their lives. But sometimes... Others don't experience them as very loving. Well, this is self-discipline operating as a personal strength. This is not necessarily the work of God's Spirit. This is self-discipline operating under the flesh operating system. I'll explain that in a minute. But when the Spirit grows this fruit in our lives, it's, it's a single cloth. We are able to be more patient, and more at peace, and more self-disciplined. And this can only happen under the Spirit's influence. Okay, so why don't we see more of all of this in our lives? As it turns out, we have an enemy. An enemy that works against the development of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So let's look back at the first paragraph in Paul's explanation here. Verses uh, 16 and following. So I say... Live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature, some translations offer flesh. For the flesh, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit was contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other since you don't do what you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. There's a conflict within us there is an internal enemy listen we've described here at gateway we've used the analogy before when when someone becomes a christian we've talked about that as downloading a new operating system it's not like adding a new software package it's it's not putting a do religion package combined with a be nice to others package into your old operating system, into the existing operating system of your life, we've said that we have an old way of doing things, of an old way of seeing the world, of managing our lives, of managing our relationships, a whole system. The operating system was corrupt. It was oriented toward myself. It was a self-salvation project. And when Christ comes into our lives, he wipes the old operating system and, and the he downloads a whole new approach, a, a whole new way. Not just, not just adding some software, but a new computing architecture. The problem is that there are still vestiges of the old operating system that corrupt our current operations. The old system is the sinful nature. The Greek word is sarks. And as I said, many translations will translate that flesh uh, the reason that trans, some translators render it sinful nature is because they don't want us to confuse this with our bodies. 
This isn't flesh as in your body. This is flesh as in a different way of doing life. One pastor called it the FOS or the flesh operating system. I really like that. So think of it like this. It's the best analogy I could think of this week. When I was young, I started playing tennis and I was not very good, no surprise. But I did have one uh, stroke that was awesome. I had an absolutely wicked forehand. It, uh, it, it came, I think, from playing ping pong, but I would, I would turn the racket pretty dramatically in my hand, and, and it was a scoop shot, essentially. And I would catch the ball and scoop it, and I'm, I'm telling you, down the line, cross court, constant winner. I loved my forehand. The problem is that the ball needed to be exactly right here for me to scoop it. If it came anywhere else, I was in trouble. So I had a really good friend who uh, grew up with a tennis court in his yard, took tennis lessons, did all these uh, tennis tournaments when he was young, and he and I started playing together, and he started correcting my forehand, changing the grip, changing the way I approached the ball so that I could get some top spin on the ball and I could approach the ball from any angle and anywhere on the court. And even as I was moving, I could, I could catch the ball at various places as it approached me. It was, a, it was a whole new way of hitting a forehand and much, much better, much improved. The problem is, whenever I was under pressure, I would revert back to the scoop shot. Uh, and it would often ruin the point or ruin my game, this is often what happens to us. Under pressure, we revert back to anger because it works. People get out of our way and we get what we want. Or we, or we revert back to our manipulative niceness because it works. It, it helps us skirt around all those nasty little conflicts. But ultimately, the sinful nature produces Jealousy and factions and sexual immorality. It's driven by fits of rage and selfish ambition that others experience from us. The, the flesh operating system is a failed system. and we, we resort ultimately to idolatry or drunkenness. And God offers something infinitely better for us, a whole different shot he offers something that's better both internally and in how we are experienced by others. You know, I really think the driver for the flesh operating system is what Paul calls here, the Greek word is epithumia. That's his word. It's translated here, desires. But it is epithumia. It means something like over-desire or inordinate desire. It's not just that we desire bad things and the flesh operating system often desires bad things, but more than that, this is over-desire. This is, don't miss this, this is the flesh operating system taking good things and making them central things and therefore corrupting them. Here's what I mean. Think, for instance, of work. Now, God wants us to work. And he wants us to do well at it. He wants us to work hard and to make money because that money supplies our lives and it supplies the work of the kingdom of God. But when we take that desire and drag it into the center of our lives, then it gets corrupted. And we will end up hurting our relationships because of overwork 
or because our loved ones constantly feel like runners-up. Or think of the opinions of others. You know, the Bible tells us that leaders of the church should be well-respected. The opinions of others matters, but when we take that desire and drag it into the center of who we are, then it gets corrupted. We end up needing others' approval. And we act not out of love and goodwill, but out of, out of dragging approval out of them for us. We end up corrupted by jealousy and envy. One more example for us. Think of your family, especially those of you who have young children. I mean, this is a very good and godly desire, but if our flesh operating system drags our family into the center of who we are, then your actions as a parent get corrupted. Your children become your idol and you will demand that they meet your needs and your expectations. You, you won't want to do that, but you'll do it. And if, if something goes wrong with your child, if they, if they, if they have some kind of learning disability, you're, you're, your life is off kilter. You'll overprotect them and therefore not prepare them for failure. And another word for failure is growing up. When we take good and godly desires and we drag those into the center of who we are, we over-desire them in effect. We have an inordinate desire even for a good thing. The flesh operating system corrupts it. And even if the flesh operating system seems comfortable to us and, and seems to work for a while, it always ends up in acts of sexual immorality or debauchery or fits of rage or selfish ambition and dissensions. We don't have more of what God offers in our lives in part, in, in significant part, because we choose to operate under the flesh operating system. So if I may, let me give you a really personal example. I have many, but uh, th most of them are very embarrassing. You don't have access to those. So I'll give you one that's right here in front of all of us. So here's what I do when we get together on uh, Sunday morning. I, I uh, spend, you know, sometimes I'm sort of noodling in the background on something like uh, the idea, this whole idea of what God offers us and even the, the be rich, live poor. That came to me this summer. And I started noodling on that and thinking about that. And I thought, wow, I, I, need, to, I need to think about that. God, I need, I need more of that. I need to talk about that at Gateway. So then I, then I began to think and pray about what God would want to say and how and, and from where in his word would he have us address this? This is what I do. So I think and I pray and I plan and I work through this, hopefully with the outcome being, and this is what happens. And this is all that happens sometimes. I think and I pray and I plan and I, I try to do something here that will honor God and that will speak his truth, but will also serve us. And it will minister to you, and, and it will encourage you, and it might even challenge you. That's, that's, and that's all that happens here sometimes. But that's not always all that happens, because I have a personality type that loves to be the center of attention. And so often what happens here, or sometimes, let's say sometimes, what happens here on Sunday morning is I also want to dazzle you. I want you to leave and think, holy smokes, that guy was unbelievable. I, wow, I've never heard anything, and pretty cool and devastatingly good looking. Uh, and when, when, look, when I think that, when, when that creeps in, 
to what I'm doing here, it affects what I say and how I say it. And, and ultimately, what you experience. I remember years ago, I thought of this this week as I was praying about this whole topic. Uh, early in my ministry, I was in a Bible study. And, and Bible studies uh, often early in my ministry were, you know, an exercise. And I didn't know it, but they were an exercise in Ed just being too much. Sometimes just showing off. Just, uh, you know, big personality is all about me. And so I was in a, a Bible study one time, and it was just utterly boring. I, I couldn't, no energy, and I asked a question in this Bible study. Remember, I asked a question. It was a really good question. I mean, no, it was an awesome question. And uh, it really got at the, in a really cool way, it got exactly at the heart of what this passage was about, and crickets, nothing. And so I, I'm, I'm getting frustrated with, with these people who won't say anything, and, and, you know, they're not entering in. What's your problem? And this is an important point, and they need to get this. And all of a sudden, I, genuinely, I heard in my own spirit, just be quiet. You are never quiet. Just be quiet. And I, I realized that this was the Holy Spirit because I would never say to myself, just be quiet. So, uh, I, what do you mean? Don't you realize that this is an incredibly important point? They need to get this, and, I, I'm gonna, it's, and when I say it, it's going to be awesome. Now, do you think you're the only one that can make this observation? Just be quiet. God, they're boring. They're not saying anything. Wait. So, I started, instead of saying something, I started praying. Okay, Lord, have someone in this group make this observation. Somebody says something boring. Somebody says something dumb. And then, and then, somebody, somebody said exactly what needed to be said. Now, they didn't say it as well as I would have said it. But they said exactly what needed to be said. And something amazing happened. When they said it, then this person commented. And then this person commented. And then this person commented. And then they reiterated. And then this person said, what do you mean? And then they added. And then this person said something. And what we experienced was what we, the first, the, just the edges of what we here at Gateway call authentic Christian community. Instead of the Ed show. The flesh operating system desires things that are not good for us and it takes good and godly desires, and it drags those into the center of who we are, and everything gets corrupted, and we don't get to experience all that God has for us. Finally, in this passage, Paul gives us some teaching about how to access more of what God has for us. So how do we open our uncle's letter, so to speak? How do we access all that God offers us? Now, this isn't meant to be a full lesson by any means. This is Paul really just being devotional and tossing this off, but he can't help himself. And this is a fantastic first step for us in accessing what God has for us. So here it is, verses 24 and 25. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, this is awesome stuff. Uh, let me explain. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So think of this as a negative approach and a positive approach. The negative approach, which is to crucify the flesh operating system, did you notice it's not stated as a command? You see that. Instead, it's stated as a condition of who we are. Those who belong to Christ, that's many of us, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That's the reality of who we are. That's simply what has happened. Now, of course, there's a need for us to participate in this. We, we need to, as Paul said in another place, quote, put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, end quote. And Jesus himself told us that following him means in part denying ourselves and taking up our cross, which is essentially the same thing. But here, Paul wants to remind us that that the death of the flesh operating system is a condition of who we are. We have a, a brand new operating system working in us, and that system is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we are operating in the flesh operating system, we're hanging out with a dead person. This is weekend at Bernie's all over again. The flesh operating system has been crucified. We, we don't have to use that clunky system anymore. Plus, we, when we do, it only gets us into trouble. It's dead. And this is incredibly good news. But the thing I think that I love the most about this is that the greatness of the gospel leaks into this teaching. Can you see that? Remember, the word gospel, that, that is the word, that, this is the, the, what the first followers used to describe the whole story of Jesus and to describe his impact on our lives. So notice how it shows up here, really subtly. The best explanation I think I've ever heard about religion versus our faith is that religion is spelled D-O. Religion is what we do to be close to God or to satisfy God or to make ourselves worthy of God or to be spiritual. But the gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. The gospel is what God has done for us and, and now offers us. Religion waits for us to perform. The gospel waits for us to receive. So here, we might expect, verse 24, those of us who are religious and we all have that spirit in us, we might expect, verse 24, to read, crucify the passions and desires of the sinful nature and then you belong to Christ. But no, Paul's life and this theology have been changed by the gospel. So he offers the truth and said, he said, those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. How awesome is that? Yeah, and then the positive part. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, again, this is a given, a condition. This is who we are. We don't have to work for this. We don't have to earn this. This is a reality. We are people who have the Spirit. So let's live like it. The Spirit is moving, and we are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us, so let's keep up. Let's, let's keep in step. Let me offer an illustration. Imagine that you're in a high school marching band. We have some folks who are. Let's say you play the tuba. Brought that up because it's just huge. You've been playing the tuba since you were in the sixth grade, so you know how to play. You're pretty good, and you're in the band. You have the uniform. You know your instrument. It's on the college resume, 
done. But still, you go to practice and you learn your part in the songs that are going to be played at halftime and, and you learn the steps of the band because your band is really good and you really like it. And it, it's fun to be out there performing and looking and sounding good with the rest of the band. And in order to do so, you have to practice. Listen, this is why we go to church. This is why we go to small group. This is why we volunteer in kids town. This is why we give. This is why we pray and why we read our Bibles. We don't earn anything. We don't need to work for anything. We're not trying to be better. He's done all of that already for us. The Spirit is moving in us, producing in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We just need to practice. Those are the people we want to be, and it's what He's turning us into. So we just have to keep in step with His movement. When, when He turns, we need to be ready to turn. When He when He plays we need to be ready to play when he says can you be quiet for once we need to be ready to listen and willing to obey when he says the way you think about women is utterly wrong it's the flesh operating system we need to be ready to repent and open to change when he says that's rage and it comes from the flesh operating system we need to be soft-hearted and open to correction God is offering love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He's making us those people. Let's keep in step. It's hard sometimes. Very, very hard, but it's not complicated. I want to make one final observation before we quit. Look, look at the negative part of the uh, method again. He said, those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So how do you know you belong to Christ? How do you know you're on the right side of the gospel? Well, you just have to open the letter. Jesus' best friend, John, he must have been utterly stunned, by the way, at the openness and breadth of Jesus' offer constantly, so much so that John would eventually tell us in John chapter 1, verse 12, all who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can't belong any more than that. So all you do is just recognize that you've been operating under the flesh operating system. It has produced some good stuff and it's produced a lot of chaos. And there's a better way. You want the better way. That's what God offers. You see now that it's not just adding some niceness and some religion to your life. It's a complete system overhaul. It's a total surrender of the governorship of, of your life to Jesus. And if you're ready for that surrender, open the letter and say yes. Welcome him in. All right, let's pray. And I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me as we pray. And I'm going to invite our worship team to come. Father, um, I pray first, Lord, for any of us who are listening now or listening this week, and we have not settled the question of belonging to you. We have not opened the letter. We have not said yes. We're still operating under the flesh operating system. And we might even be trying to add some niceness on top of that or maybe some religion. 
And we've lost track. We've kind of lost the narrative. We're not getting it. And this morning you have spoken and we want to listen. And so, Father, I ask that you would speak in a way that we could understand and you would enable us to say yes to Jesus. For others of us, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak into our hearts about what we need to do to be in step with the Spirit. What, what practice? What, what, what do we need to do to, to remind ourselves of the contents of the letter? What, what do we need to do, Lord, that create more openness, more receptivity to you? It's, I, I mean, we recognize this morning, Father, the enemy, our busyness, our our way of operating, our way of doing it. We've always done it this way, and it's not, it's, it's a mess. So today we're reminded the flesh operating system is a dead man. We're alive in you. It's not even us anymore, it's you. It's you living in us. So we receive that truth today as what it is, good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 